Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 21 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 21. And the title of the message is, The Fruit is in the Pudding. The fruit is in the pudding. Yes, you know the play on the phrase, the proof is in the pudding. The fruit is in the pudding. This is Jesus' worldview series. I'm working verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Matthew. And this is sermon number 82 in our Bibles. Heard of a story, maybe you heard this one too. Two boys, they were staying the night at grandma's and grandpa's and doing their nightly prayers with their grandparents. And grandma and grandpa are there, and the two boys are there. And the first boy quietly asked God for a puppy for his birthday. Dear God, please give me a puppy for my birthday. Amen. Then the second boy stands up and starts shouting, Please, God, let me have a new bike for my birthday. And the grandpa says, Son, you don't need to yell. God isn't deaf. He can hear you. The boy says, I know, but grandma is. That's it. Some of you stand-up comedians, was delivery bad? What happened? It, it's a great concept. The idea is good, right? Okay, sorry. We'll talk afterwards. Asking for things from God, wondering why they don't come to us. Really wondering if there really is fruit in our lives to declare that we are Christians, is what I want to talk about today. Because today, Christianity has really flooded the West, especially the United States. And we have so many people in America that if you ask them, what religion are you, they would say, Christian. But then if you ask the same people if they're disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, they would look at you funny like, well, I'm not radical. What's wrong with you? I, why would you take it that far? It's almost as if a great illusion has been cast on people where many believe to just declare yourself a Christian means you are a Christian. When the truth is, a Christian by definition is someone who actually follows the commands and teachings of Jesus. The word Christian, by definition, means Christ follower. Christian, Christian, Christ, Christ follower. Christ means Messiah. Messiah follower is the actual definition for Christian. So if you don't follow his teachings and commands, you by definition are not a Christian. Just because you say you're on the team doesn't mean you are. We want to see you actually suit up and play on the field or get on the court. But I'm on the team. Really? I've never seen you play. Trust me, I'm on the team. Really? Do you even have a jersey? The fruit is in the pudding. Matthew chapter 21, let's take a look at verse 18. We will look at today, starting, and we will work to 21. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we are reading. Not mine, but his. 
verse 18 in Matthew 21. Take a look at the text. Now in the morning when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. And seeing this, the disciples marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, oh God, would you reveal your truth to us this morning? Would you change our minds? Would you change our hearts? Would you draw us into closer relationship with you? We pray that your truth would become clear to us once again. Fill our hearts with more of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Remember, Jesus has just cleansed the temple. He drove out all the money changers and those turning the temple of God into a hangout for thieves. Do you remember? Jesus declared, my father's house shall be called a house of what? Prayer, that's right. A house of prayer, not a den of thieves. Not the mobster house. In our text before us, it is currently Wednesday in the timeline of the Passion Week. Jesus is marching to the cross. We saw Palm Sunday, which actually took place on Monday. And we saw him cleanse the temple on Tuesday and actually curse the fig tree according to Mark sometime on Tuesday. And then Wednesday morning, we see this fig tree withers quickly. It is Wednesday morning, and it says, verse 18, that Jesus was hungry. You see that? He was hungry. His stomach was grumbling. I love that the Bible reveals the human side of Jesus. Sometimes we forget that he was a real baby, that he had his diapers changed, that he was a little boy who played in the dirt with sticks fighting with his brothers, that he was a teenager with long hair hanging in his face, waking up late, that he slept and ate and drank like the rest of us. He had friendships and disappointments like all of us. He learned and grew in wisdom and stature. We are told in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That he grew. And he was a real man. And we see today that Jesus was actually hungry, that he ate real food. It says, now in the morning when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Look at verse 19. And seeing a lone, a, a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. And seeing this, the disciples marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither all at once? Jesus being hungry, he goes to this fig tree, and when he sees it has leaves on it from a distance, he concludes it must have figs on it. Fig trees normally produce its fruit first, and then the leaves come after. So the fact that this tree has leaves, but no fruit, shows there's something wrong with it. Anybody have 
a fig tree in their backyard? Oh, wow, incredible. What a fun little fruit, huh? You, 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 it's soft, and you break that thing open, and magically there's all this sweet stuff inside. The Fig Newton. <laughs> Praise God for the Fig Newton, huh? What a great little snack. You didn't know it comes from that little, that fruit. So Jesus was hoping to have a Fig Newton, and he goes over there and sees that there's nothing on the tree. The text tells us that Jesus then pronounced a curse and judgment over the tree, saying, there shall be no longer any fruit from you. You're done. Now, is Jesus being mean to the tree because he was hungry? Did he become hangry and then curse the tree? No. No, that's not what's happening here. Jesus was using this tree as an opportunity to proclaim the denouncement of the nation of Israel. His own people. Jesus was a Jew. He was Jewish. And he's denouncing his own people. His own people he came to save. That's the whole reason he's there in Israel, in Jerusalem, in the Galilee. But they would not receive him as Messiah. They would not receive him as king. Remember, it's, it's Jesus' last week on earth as a human. And he has just announced the temple, remember? The place of worship. The place Israel would go and sacrifice. And he denounced the whole thing by cleansing it of its filth because they had turned the place of worship, the place of God, the house of God, into a mob house. And now he is denouncing the nation as a whole and cursing the fig tree. He curses their worship system, and then he curses the nation through this fig tree. You see, the fig tree has been referred to as a symbol of the nation of Israel many times in the Bible. Hosea chapter 9, Joel chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 8. The nation of Israel is referred to as a fig tree that's supposed to bring forth fruit. And Jesus is referring to the Old Testament text as he always did. He's pointing to this fig tree and using it as an opportunity to show what Israel has done or not done. It has produced leaves, but it bears no fruit. A picture form of outward religion, but no real fruit, no real love for God and for people. Just religious tradition, empty worship a form of holiness in their outward appearance, but the Spirit of God is not in them. It's fake. And Jesus is declaring, the leaves are there, but there's no fruit in this nation. We see this. We see this in religiosity today. We see it in the holy exterior of robes and swinging of gold things and smoke flying around and cathedrals. Oh, that they would be filled with the Spirit of God. Oh, that they would actually love and serve people at a high level. And it wouldn't be this fake exterior. But not only in the cathedrals, we see it in the Protestant church today as well. We see a lot of holy stuff on the outside, a lot of holy talk, a lot of holy gestures, but not much action or fruit behind it. A lot of green leaves but no fruits. And so in Jesus cursing the fig, this fig tree and it dying, it shows a judgment upon the nation of Israel, declaring the people are spiritually dead. 
And Paul warned of this, people like this, in 2 Timothy 3.5. He actually says to the young pastor Timothy, he says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that, Paul says. He says, stay away from the fake. Watch out for the fake. Watch out, because there are a lot of preachers out there just trying to take advantage of people. There are a lot of priests out there just trying to take advantage of people. There are a lot of people in the church who want a form of godliness. They want to declare that because they want you to look at them and think they're holy. But when you get to the core, it's diseased fruit. And that's sad. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. The Pharisees were literally doing this. Jesus calls them out. He says, you see the Pharisees, they stand on the street corner. They lift their hands in public and they start praying to God in public these lengthy prayers. So everybody look at them and say, oh man, that guy's holy. Did you hear that prayer? Wow, he's impressive. But then behind the scenes, they were taking from people, hurting people and cutting them down. They have a form of godliness, but lack godly power. Matthew 7, 18, Jesus says, A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Can't do it. Jesus is pretty clear in his declaration. The nation of Israel has had its chance for thousands of years. God has made a way and now sent them a savior, and they still reject it. The fruit is in the pudding. The proof is clearly in the pudding. The fruit or lack thereof declares what type of tree it is. Israel has produced no fruit. They will not believe in Messiah and so it is cursed. The king of all kings pronounces a judgment upon his own people before they are about to crucify him in just a couple days. The religious leaders of that time, they're supposed to be the ones who see Messiah, fall on their face and say, we found him. We've been looking for him for thousands of years. The rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you think they would say, there he is. All the religious leaders, the leaders should be pointing to the Messiah. Instead, they chant in a couple days, crucify him. Crucify him. For what? Pilate asked them. Is he a criminal? No, he, he claims to forgive sin. He claims to be the son of God. He helps poor people and heals them. He helps the adulterous woman. He makes us look dumb. And we don't like him. So let's get rid of him. You can't get rid of him. They will crucify the very one who came to save them. And little did they know the act of crucifying their Messiah will actually be the act that can save them. 
in the crucifixion, in the cross, in the process of crucifying and putting him to death, they are ushering in salvation for the entire world. It is so awesome. Family, the same is true in our lives. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree will not produce good fruit. You can judge a person based upon their fruits, and I would even take it so far as to say it's wise to do so. Now, when Matthew chapter 7, this is the, do you know, do you know the world actually has memorized scripture? You walk up to somebody in the world and say, do you know any scripture? And they'll probably say, no. But there is one they quote over and over and over. Judge not lest you be judged, man. Oh, Matthew chapter 7, good job. Judge not lest you be judged, man. Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. That's scary. God will judge you. And he will see everything. Matthew chapter 7, judge not lest you be judged, is referring, it is this phrase in the original, condemn not lest you be condemned. Condemn not another person lest you be condemned. You don't get to pass judgment on another person to the degree of saying, you are going to hell. Careful. We don't have the power to do that now, do we? To declare over somebody, you're for sure going to hell. This is dangerous. I'm not God. But at the same time, Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits and that you are to be a fruit inspector. And that we are to judge one another, hopefully in humility, hopefully in kindness and gentleness. Brother, you got to stop getting hammered every single night. You're destroying your life. And man, that DUI you got, you know, when you hit that family, you thought that would be enough. You got to stop this. Stop judging me, man. You should be thankful I'm judging you because I love you, I'm for you, and you got to get away from that. Right? This is what a loving person does is we talk to each other about the things we're working through, but we never are to declare of another person, you're going to hell. This is dangerous. Only Jesus can do that. Only God can do that. But what we are called to do is to help one another grow in the faith. Examine ourselves first to see if we are in the faith. Examine your own heart. Then if you feel the Lord leading you to, sit down, take them to coffee, take them to lunch, have some time, hey, I love you, I'm for you. I'm just saying, I don't think that's wise, you know? I don't want to lose the friendship. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just pointing it out. I hope that you can receive it. Man, I built a relationship with some brothers in my early 20s, and I am so very thankful for it to this day because, I don't know, we can kind of say anything to each other, and we know the relationship will never end. Literally, you can just call each other out at the highest degree. It doesn't matter. It will never end. You can say anything. And they have. And I'm thankful. We all need that in our lives. We all need a couple people in our lives that we're willing to listen to. You do not want to become a mad scientist locked inside your own head having conversations with yourself all the time. You have no sounding boards around you Somebody to tell you, that's crazy. Yeah, that actually is crazy. Stop that. I want that in my life. I want people to encourage me as well. It shouldn't be always correction. 
And I'll give you a little tip here. If you're planning on correcting someone or trying to help them move in the right direction, give them five compliments first. I just want to tell you, I see this in you. You were fantastic in this. You were strong in this. Wow, it's incredible to watch you do this, this, this. And I love you, and I'm for you, and I just want to say something to this. Is this okay? And you win a brother, you win a sister. We've got to help each other. You can judge a person based upon their fruit, and I will even say it again, it is wise to do so. It's hard to tell what kind of tree, I should, let me ask you this question, is it hard to tell what kind of tree an orange tree is when it produces its fruit? Do you stand there with you, looking at it? What is that? Interesting, especially here in Southern California. What about an apple tree? Do you sit there and contemplate whether or not it's an orange or an apple? No, you can see pretty clearly. What if the apple tree started shouting, I'm an orange tree, I'm an orange tree. Does that make it an orange tree? No, it's still an apple tree. The same is true with a Christian or a Christ follower. You will know them by their fruits. Jesus told us in Matthew 7, if they don't look and act like a Christian, meaning they don't follow the commands of Christ, they aren't a Christian. I don't care how loud you shout it. Doesn't matter how loud. Doesn't matter how holy their clothes look. Look at their life. Look at their conduct. Look at the fruit. Is it good fruit or is it diseased? Well, what fruit should you be looking for? Orange or apple? No. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit of God being in you, the fruit of the Spirit, here is the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, what does diseased fruit look like? All you got to do is go to the previous text right before the fruit of the Spirit passage. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 is the fruit of the Spirit passage. Write it down. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 is the diseased fruit. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says. I don't care how loud somebody shouts, I'm a Christian, if they're doing all of these things. I'm sorry. The fruit is clear. Pretty simple. If we have the Spirit of God in us, if we are following Him with all of our lives, it will show even in our failures. Listen. The Spirit of God will show up even in our failures. Because many are feeling condemned and beat down right now. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. 
When we fail, when we fall into sin, the Spirit of God will draw us to ask for forgiveness. So we know the Spirit of God's still there. We feel convicted and draw, God, forgive me. What am I doing? The non-believer doesn't care. They go on sinning. When we wrong another, we will make things right. This is evidence of God at work in us. We are bearing good fruit even in our failures and sin. We have desires to love God and people. We hate what is evil and love what is good. And that's what I'm always looking for because I too, I'm a, I've been a pastor for a long time and been in the ministry for 20 years now. And I can't believe my own heart sometimes. I can't believe the things that come into my own mind at times to say, how can this be? How can I be tempted in these ways? How can I not have matured or grown in certain areas? What is wrong with you? How can David at the height of his kingdom, when he is there sitting there, he's sitting there winning wars, conquering everything at the height, all of a sudden gets the idea in his mind, he's going to go take a man's wife and kill the guy, have him murdered so that he can have the woman and gets her pregnant. How can this be? Now, if David went on, committing this type of sin, and we never saw uh, Psalm chapter 51. And if he went on and act like nothing happened and buried it forever after the Nathan, Nathan the prophet came in and said, you are the man, you have done this. And David said, I did nothing. Then we would know the spirit of God is not there. But what was his posture? It's me. Psalm chapter 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Please don't cast me away from your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I deserve it. You should take your spirit from me. But instead, please re restore to me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. That are signs of the spirit of God and fruit that God is still working in your life. It's pretty simple. Those who are just playing a game, faking it through, have leaves on their tree, but no good fruit. They do religious things, but they don't really love God and people. They can fool people for a while, but when it comes time to bear fruit in the season of harvest, the tree will be exposed. The fruit is in the pudding. The proof is clearly in the pudding. It's taken me a long time to be okay with this. Because if you ask me when I was younger, yeah, I, I deal, dealt with things a lot different. But family, I want to encourage you, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Truly yield yourself to God and he will save and meet you right where you're at. Search me, O oh God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting, Psalm 139. Psalm 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Just keep abiding in him. Sometimes I have branches on my trees that just don't want to grow for some reason. Look, I'm like, grow! They're biting in the tree. It just takes time. If you are in Christ, don't worry, you will produce fruit, okay? 
Even if you feel discouraged, even if you feel overwhelmed by your sin and your fail failures, keep abiding in Him. Keep trusting in Him. You will produce fruit. I will go so far as to say if you are worried about whether you are producing fruit and you have declared Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are probably saved and a Christian who is growing because you're concerned. A non-believer would have no concern. They don't care. You're maybe not growing as fast as you would like to, but that is evidence of faith. Again, I'm more concerned about those who have no regard for producing fruits. As I grow older, I think I'm also growing in more patience with people, I hope, and more grace for people, I hope. But man, when I was first saved and pastoring, I wanted trees to produce fruit immediately. And I was ready to cut people down with my axe so quickly if they weren't bearing great fruit for Christ. The same with Kristen and Scott, man. Don't, my preaching was not good, okay? I mean, back in those days, I don't maybe God somehow used it, but I'm shocked. I mean, I, the, the, the preaching, it was so bold and radical. It almost had no understanding of people. It was just like, boom. I mean, I just dropped bombs on the place every week with no regard and just say, grow. Get out of here, you know? Uh, I wasn't good with compassion, understanding. But all you gotta do is find a simple lesson of farming and it will teach you that it takes time for plants and trees to grow, especially from a seed. Watering every day, sunshine every day, finally produces a little baby sprout. And then you, you, that little sprout needs care. You got to pull the weeds around it, and then you got to keep watering, and then more sun. You got to protect it from the raccoons. Raccoons, Pastor Josh. Yeah, at my house, the raccoons want to dig up all my plants. You see, they're the little cute, furry little animals. They are not cute. One gets, did you see, did you see that online this last week? A raccoon grabbed an alligator by the back of the neck. Alligator! was just like putting it to death right there, was gonna go eat that alligator, it's shocking. But after a year, you have a little plant or a little tree stem, but no real fruit, maybe a couple flowers, and then year two and year three, and then hopefully by then you get one apple or one orange, huh? I think I see an apple, and then the squirrel comes and eats it. The birds show up, I'm not bitter. <laughs> But give that tree 10 years, 20 years, and all of a sudden it has deep roots. It's been through a few storms, still not knocked down. And man, it starts to produce 100, 200 oranges a year, all from one little seed. Growth takes time. And as you grow older, you reflect back that you didn't change overnight. It took you a long time to change. And not necessarily because the lights clicked on and all of a sudden you're like, wow, the word of God spoke to me. I'm going to change today. Oftentimes it's because we've destroyed our lives or we messed up or we failed in this area. Then growth speeds up. And we wake up. So I don't want to do that anymore. I need to get close to God. I wish I could make people grow faster. I wish there was a spiritual fertilizer. But there isn't. 
The Bible says very clearly, 1 Corinthians 3, 5, 1 Corinthians 3, 5, we are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work that the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting, nor important who does the watering. That doesn't matter. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. I love this parable that Jesus gave about the growth of people and the patience of God. It's found in Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Jesus told this story. He says, a man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there still hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taken up space in my garden. And the gardener answered and said, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year. I'll give it special attention, plenty of fertilizer. This is scripture. And if it, we get figs next year, fine. But if not, then you can cut it down. Amazing. Patience. Maybe some of you need to grow and apply this mindset to the way you see people. Give it one more chance. Leave it another year. I'll give it some special attention. Plenty of fertilizer. And if we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Pastor Chuck Smith would always say, if you're going to err, err on the side of grace. Why not? If you're going to err, why not err on the side of grace with people? Has God not been gracious to us? Man, he has been good to us and patient with us. I'm the little sprout there in the field that just won't grow. And bad stuff has to happen in order for me to grow. It's the only way my mind expands, the only way my heart expands. Many men took time with me and helped me grow. This plant was stubborn and took many years to grow good roots. But I'm thankful God didn't cut me down and throw me away. He kept sending people to me to water me and to send sun on me, to shine on me. And by God's grace, I will produce more and more fruit. God is looking for good fruit. And he will produce it in his people. And praise God in our texts. Those of you who know the end of the Bible, he will actually find his way to produce fruit through Israel and to some degree. He will find his way. But that's not happening today. So the Lord cursed this fig tree to stir faith in the disciples. We're going to read the rest of our text and close here. I want you to walk away with this. I don't want you to miss it. Verse 21, take a look. And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Watch this. The disciples knew why the fig tree withered, but they we're now, in verse 20, asking, how did that wither so fast? How did you do that, Lord? And Jesus speaks to them about faith and the access of power they have in him. Jesus tells the boys, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only be able to 
do that to the fig tree, but you could say to a mountain, be uprooted and thrown to the sea, and it would happen. We should first notice that Jesus never did throw a mountain to the sea, now did he? That is a miracle that the Pharisees would have loved to see him do. Do a great magic trick for us, and then we'll believe, type thing. Neither did Jesus or the disciples do anything like this, a spectacular miracle with no purpose behind it. They didn't do it. But Jesus is also pulling from a commonly used metaphor in Jewish literature. The ruder upper of mountains, or the ruder up of mountains, was a phrase used by great rabbis and spiritual teachers. You can find it in the Babylonian Talmud. These ruders of mountains, or great rabbis, could solve great problems and seemingly do the impossible. So Jesus is playing on a phrase that everyone knew in that day and age. Jesus is saying, you will do these things if you have faith in me. You will be like the greats. You'll be greater. The power you need is actually found in me. John MacArthur said this. This is the idea Jesus had in mind. He was saying, if you... I want you to know that you have unimaginable power available to you through your faith in me. So Jesus was saying to them. John 14, 13, you can ask for anything in my name, Jesus said, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask anything from me in my name and I will do it. The amount of power, church, that you have available to you in the Lord Jesus is more than you could ever use. It's like hooking up a flashlight to a power plant. It's, if you just turn on the light, it literally blasts into the darkness. The problem is most people never access it. They don't ask God. Think about the thousands of things you have never asked the Lord to do and work in. Why don't you just go to the Lord? My wife was just reminding me because we were watching um, a movie the other night in which a car broke down and these radical Christians are all laying their hands on the car praying for it. <laughs> and I remember doing this. I had a 1990 Honda Accord with 300,000 miles on it. My first three cars were given to me because I didn't have any money. People just gave, gave, they're like, oh, this is a piece of junk car. You, if you want it, you can have it. And I would drive these things around. And I'll never forget, I had to be somewhere. And it was like so late. I'm just like, Lord, please, God, I, this. And this, this Honda Accord had a relay, fuel relay problem. And um, I literally remember like laying hands on, nobody else was around. I'm like laying hands, the car's open, the hood's up. I'm like, God, please, please start this car. I got to go. <laughs> I'm gonna miss it, please. I literally turn the thing and it starts over. And this is why I remember, it turns over and watch it. I get out of the car and I do one of these, yeah! And there was a lady walking by and she just looks at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> but I remember that moment because I got out of the car and jumped in the air and the lady looked at me like I was crazy. It was. I believe God for little things like that. I don't know, when you get older, you don't pray for things like that anymore. I don't know why. But think about the thousands of things you've just never even asked God about. Why not? What if he says yes? I do remember an atheist friend in high school saying to me, do you know that God only answers prayers statistically 50% of the time? I was like, what? 
50%? I said, he always answers. Can't he say no? He always answers. God has three answers. Did you know that? Yes, no, and wait. The reason God says no is because it's a prayer not according to his will. So when we ask things according to his will, and his will, we can know, because we can know his word, he will say yes every time according to his word. Every time. You can literally turn to the scripture and verse and read it out loud in your prayer. Lord, you say this in your word. I know this is true. I know it's your will. Please. James 4 verse 2 says, Yet you do not have what you want because you do not ask for it from God. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. Do you ask according to God's will? According to God's word? Or your own will and your own word? Praying according to God's word. Pray according to God's word and he will do it. For his word is his will. Pray according to his word. Verse 22, and ask things, as you ask for things in prayer, believing you will receive it. Do you remember the persistent knocker? Luke 11. Jesus talks about the man who needs uh, some flour, some sugar, or something. I believe it's flour, and to make some bread for some people who had come in from out of town. And it's 12 midnight, and he goes knocking on the door. He says, I need, some, I need some bread. I need some flour so I can make some bread for the people coming out of town. And the guy, yell, his friend yells from the door, go to bed. It's late. He keeps knocking. Bang, 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 bang. I need some flour. Please open the door. Go to bed. It's late. I'm not getting up. Bang, 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 bang. I need some flour. Please, please, can you get up and get me some flour? I said, go to bed. I'm not getting up to get you flour. Please, please. I need some flour. I got friends in from out of town. Please. Please, please open the door. Please, oh, please open the door. Please, please open the door. Please open the All right, fine. Here's the flour. Get out of here. Jesus says, and so I tell you, keep asking. Keep on asking and you will receive what you have asked for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open for everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Persistence is the key to pray God's will over and over and over again. And he will answer. I want to tell this story because it's one of my favorites. You've heard it before. It says, one of Alexander the Great's men came to him and asked him for a large sum of money so that he could marry off his daughter. The treasurer came to the king Alexander and said, this is ridiculous. This man is asking for 10 times the amount of money anyone needs for a normal wedding. You can't give this man the, the, the money. Alexander the Great replied, I am thankful that he is asking for so much because it shows that he believes that I am a very rich and powerful king and that he believes that I am very generous and gracious, and so I will give him the money. After telling the story, Tim Keller says, let us not insult God with prayer requests asking for so little, not believing our God is great and generous enough to pull through. 
He owns it all. Why wouldn't we ask according to his will? What are we waiting for? Jesus is stirring the disciples' faith. How can we do that? He says, you can. You already have access to it in me. And many of you are asking, how can I do that? You can. You already have access to it in him. Amen. The proof is truly in the pudding. The fruit is in the pudding. Take steps of faith. Trust God. Walk by faith, walk in his ways, and watch the fruit that comes forth in life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word today, and we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would ignite our hearts. I pray for every person in this room. There are some contemplating their own salvation, whether or not they truly know you. And I pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would convict them of sin, but Lord, you would bring forth salvation that you would forgive them of all their sin, that you would set them free, that they would believe on you right now with all of their heart, and that resurrection would take place in their life. They would go from death to life and start producing real fruits for your glory. And Lord, I pray that you would grant them heaven and your blessings and promises forever as they believe on you with all of their heart, calling upon you as Lord over their lives and Savior. Bless them, Lord. I pray for the church, you would stir our faith. Father, that we would be men and women who believe who you are and ask according to who you are, that you would meet us where we're at. Fill us with your spirit again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.